On Monday, Alice bought a parrot. It didn't talk, so the next day she returned to the pet store. He needs a ladder, she was told, so she bought a ladder. But another day passed, and the parrot still didn't say a word. How about a swing, the clerk suggested. So Alice bought a swing. The next day, a mirror. The next day, a miniature plastic tree. The next day, a shiny parrot toy. On Sunday morning, Alice was standing outside the pet store when it opened. She had the parrot cage in her hand and tears in her eyes. The parrot was dead. Did it ever say a word? The store owner asked. Yes, Alice said through her sobbing and her tears. Right before he died, he looked at me and asked, don't they sell any food at that pet store? (laughs) Alice was giving the parrot all the luxuries of life and all the amenities of life, but she failed to give the parrot the necessities of life. The very sustaining sustenance that it needed food. I thought about Alice in regards to the church today. We live in a day when the church offers and has many wonderful things to give to people like programs and courses to take and activities to be involved in. But I wonder at times if the church is like Alice. We offer all the amenities without making sure that we give out the necessities. In other words, we offer lots of nice things, but fail to give them the one needful thing. That is the gospel Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes Christians, their friendships and relationships are like that. They'll give those friendships and relationships lots of time and attention, all kinds of amenities and luxuries, but sometimes, sad to say, they fail to give the needful thing, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been studying the book of Philippians together, and I trust you're found your spot there in chapter one. If not, go ahead and be opening your Bibles there. But we know that Paul is the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the book of Philippians. C.J. Mahaney wrote the following in his wonderful little book called The Cross-Centered Life. He said the Apostle Paul recognized the universal danger of forgetting what is most important. He refused to be pulled away from the gospel. The cross was the centerpiece of Paul's theology. It wasn't merely one of Paul's messages. It was the message. He taught on other things as well, but whatever he taught was always derived from and related to the foundation reality that Jesus Christ died so that sinners would be reconciled to God and forgiven by God. He quotes theologian D.A. Carson, who writes of Paul these words. He cannot long talk about Christian joy or Christian ethics or Christian fellowship or the Christian doctrine of God or anything else without finally tying it to the cross. Paul is gospel centered. He is cross centered. And beloved Mahaney and Carson are absolutely correct. Paul is gospel centered. His life is Christ. His message is the gospel. So I want to talk with you a few moments today about a gospel focused life and living a gospel focused life. 
something we all desperately need to do in our own Southern Baptist denomination. There is even a great emphasis right now toward having a great commission resurgence. And may God help us to do that. Now, perhaps you're sitting there today and you're asking this question in your own mind. Those of you who already know Jesus, those of you who have your sin forgiven, those of you who have a home in heaven, perhaps you're asking the question in your own heart and mind. Why should you care about having a gospel focused life? You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Isn't that enough? No. A thousand times. No. Adrian Rogers hit the nail on the head when he wrote this. No matter how faithfully you attend church, how generously you give, how circumspectly you walk, how eloquently you teach or how beautiful you sing. If you are not endeavoring to bring people to Jesus Christ, you are not right with God. Think about that. R.A. Torrey said it this way. I'd like to ask what right any man has to call himself a follower of Jesus Christ if he is not a soul winner. Hudson said this. The only alternative to soul winning is disobedience to Christ. Jesus put it this way. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Understand, beloved, evangelism is not optional. It is essential. It is expected. It is commanded. And as I viewed my own life this past week, Studying this particular passage. I had to admit that I do not love souls like I ought to. I had to admit that I was not living a gospel focused life. I had to get down on my knees in my study this past week and ask for God's forgiveness and ask for God's enablement and help to live a gospel focused life. You might be wondering, what, what started this train of thought, preacher? Well, it's the passage before us this morning. We're at verse number 12 in Philippians. If you'll find that, I want to read this passage to you. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. The Bible says here, Paul writing, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace, And in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention. Not sincerely. Supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice yea and will rejoice. Now just from one reading of that passage we understand this is all about the gospel. It's all about preaching Christ. Paul lived a gospel focused life. And we note several things about his life right here. Number one this morning, he viewed his suffering in light of the gospel. He viewed his suffering in light of the gospel. Look at verse 12 again. But I would you should understand, brethren. 
that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The first part of verse 12 shows us again how much Paul of the Philippians cared for one another. How much they loved one another. He wanted them to understand some things about what was going on in his own life. He wanted to talk to them about his circumstances. And then in just a few words, the specific words are the things which happen unto me. He mentions his sufferings and then he makes a beeline for the gospel. Paul did not elaborate on his hardship here. He did not elaborate on his sufferings here. In fact, he mentions them very, very briefly. Stuart Briscoe said some people worship their problems more regularly and with greater fervor than they worship the Lord. They bow before them. They have their behavior governed by them and generally allow their lives to revolve around them. And that may be true about some. But not Paul. Now, remember, beloved, Paul is not a superhuman. He had feelings. He had emotions. He hurt. He bled. He suffered. But he lived a gospel focused life. It was Sam Gordon who said, if we see Jesus in our circumstances, then we'll see our circumstances in Jesus. Let me say that again so you catch it. If we see Jesus in our circumstances, then we'll see our circumstances in Jesus. Paul tells the Philippians here that his suffering, his hardship has actually helped to further the gospel. It's helped to move the gospel on. Now, just so you appreciate what Paul is saying here, let's spend a moment or two and talk about what Paul suffered and what he went through. If you remember, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from prison. He's in prison in Rome. Many scholars believe at this time that he was under house arrest. In fact, in fact, Acts 28, 30 and 31 say it this way. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. They believe he was under house arrest at this time, given freedom to receive guests and so forth. But ultimately, he was under house arrest. Now, to get a fuller story, we'd have to go back this morning and read beginning in Acts chapter 21 and read all the way through Acts chapter 28. And obviously, we don't have time to read all those chapters today. You can do that sometime later. But I want to let Warren Wearsby just kind of sum up what's going on so you understand what Paul is saying. He said Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but instead he went as a prisoner. He could have written a long letter about the experience alone. Instead, he sums it up here in verse 12. The things which happened unto me. The record of these things takes place in Acts 21, 17 through 28, 31. And it begins with Paul's illegal arrest to the temple in Jerusalem. The Jews thought he had desecrated their temple by bringing in Gentiles. And the Romans thought he was an Egyptian renegade, a renegade who was on their most wanted list. Paul became the focal point of both political and religious plotting and remained a prisoner in Caesarea for two years. When he finally appealed to Caesar, which was the privilege of every Roman citizen, he was sent to Rome. En route, if you remember, beloved, the ship was wrecked. Wearsby says the account of that storm and Paul's courage and faith is one of the most dramatic in all the Bible. Acts chapter 27. 
After three months of waiting on the island of Malta, Paul finally embarked for Rome and the trial he had requested before Caesar. All these things have taken place, much suffering, much hardship. But Paul's focus was not on those hardships. His focus was upon his savior. His focus was upon the gospel. Now, the topic of suffering, beloved, is one that would require a totally different message. In all honesty, it would require probably several messages. But suffice it to say today, we know that suffering comes for many different reasons. Harold Wilmington in his book of Bible list actually mentions 25 reasons why Christians suffer. From the word of God, 25 reasons. Number 18 he had listed there was the further the gospel witness. And Paul is proof of that. We know that Paul's sufferings even helped to establish the church at Philippi. Went back to the beginning of our study and talked about the early days at Philippi and what Paul endured during that time. When suffering comes to our lives, and it does come. Some are just coming through a time of suffering and hardship. Some are in the midst of a time of suffering and hardship. Others are getting ready to go into a time of suffering and hardship. The first thing we need to do is make sure that we didn't bring it upon ourselves by our own sin and disobedience. When that is settled, we should step back as believers and look at our suffering in the light of the gospel. We should seek to turn our burden into a blessing. You'll see what I mean as we see next that he shared some of the results of his suffering. Now, he viewed his suffering in the light of the gospel. Now he shared some of those results beginning in verse 13. Now, let me just say before we study this portion from a worldly standpoint, it looked like all was lost because of Paul's chains. It looked like it was just all lost. But Paul was not looking at his life from a worldly standpoint. He viewed his light in light of the gospel. Now, notice, first of all, the first result Paul mentions is those outside the body of Christ were being evangelized. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Those outside the body of Christ are being evangelized. Now, here in the King James, it mentions the palace. The Greek word is uh, the Greek word is Praetorian. If you're studying the NASB Bible, if you have that in your hands this morning, it would say the Praetorian Guard. The NIV and New King James have it, the Palace Guard. So what exactly is Paul talking about here? That my, my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace or all the Praetorian Guard or all the Palace Guard and in all of the places. Well, that Greek word Praetorian can talk about a special building such as a commander's headquarters or the emperor's palace or a group of men in the imperial guard. And because Paul was in a private home, this praetorian guard here probably refers to the members of the imperial guard who guarded Paul day and night. In other words, the scholars tell us that Paul would have been chained to one of these guards by an 18 inch chain, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They tell us the shift changed about every six hours. Now think about that. There you are chained to a member of this imperial guard. One of these soldiers guarding you by an 18 inch chain. And every six hours, another guard comes along. 
Listen, beloved, Paul didn't have to go looking for people to witness to a new one came along every six hours. Paul had a captive audience. They were chained together and not just the soldiers. He says in all of the places. You remember Acts 28, 30 and 31, I read to you, talks about that he received all that came into him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching them about Christ. They would come and go. The gospel is going forth. Paul may have been bound, but the gospel was not. Now, Paul could have spent all of his time feeling sorry for himself. He could have moped about his about his hardship, his lack of privacy, his chain. But instead, he surrendered that chain to the Lord and used it as an opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bloomed where he was planted. Now, perhaps you're dealing with some hardship in your own life. Have you ever considered this, beloved? Perhaps God has you where you are because he wants you to share the gospel with someone or perhaps many people. Do you realize in all likelihood, Paul would have never seen these folks or witnessed these folks had he not been a prisoner in Rome and they were coming and being attached to his arm day in and day out. Maybe that job that you really don't like. Maybe that visit to the hospital or doctor that you'd rather not make. Many other times and places in our lives. Perhaps, beloved, God is strategically placing you at that point, at that time in your life for the sake of the gospel. We need to view our suffering and hardship in the light of the gospel. Those outside the body of Christ were being evangelized. Secondly, those inside the body of Christ were being encouraged. Look at verses 14 through 17. And many of the brethren in the Lord, we know he's talking about believers here, brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak a word without fear. So we understand here that the brethren were getting emboldened by Paul's testimony and witness. In fact, where it says many, where it says many of the brethren in the Greek has that of most of the brethren or the majority of the brethren are waxing bold. They were witnessing, they were sharing the gospel. But right away, he mentions two groups that are out preaching. Look at verse 15, the first group is mentioned. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and they're described in verse 16. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. That's one group. The second group is mentioned in the end of verse 15. Look at it again, verse 15. And some also of goodwill. They're mentioned in verse 17, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Two groups. One group is preaching out of envy, strife and contention. They were seeking to discourage Paul, if at all possible. They were preaching out of selfish selfish ambition. The second group out preaching the word, speaking the word, were preaching and speaking out of a pure heart. They stood with Paul. Now, please note, both groups were preaching the gospel. They were brethren. They were preaching the gospel because we know Paul says elsewhere in Galatians chapter one, verses eight and nine. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than yet you have received, let him be accursed. Paul does not say anything about that here. He says they were preaching the gospel. 
They both preached the gospel, but they did it with different motives. One group was not anti-Christ. They were anti-Paul. They sought to discourage Paul, add to his hardship, add to his affliction, take advantage of the situation. Kent Hughes said they preached Christ out of selfish ambition. These preachers were petty, territorial, calculating, and focused on self-promotion. In other words, they saw an opportunity. Oh, the great Apostle Paul, he's bound in prison. Here's my chance. I'm going to preach the gospel out of selfish ambition. And brothers and sisters, listen. If we're not careful, we can get caught up in the same thing. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, comparing our church with other churches in the area that preach the gospel and rejoicing. Hey, we have more than they have. We're better off than they are, at least in our own minds. Brethren, these things ought not to be. We are not in competition with other gospel preaching churches. We're in a partnership in getting out the gospel. And as children of God, as believers of Jesus Christ, we should rejoice whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. Paul is in chains. He views his suffering in the light of the gospel. He shared some of the results. Those outside the body of Christ were being evangelized. Those inside the body of Christ were being encouraged to preach the gospel. Thirdly, those of us here today are being challenged. This isn't mentioned by Paul, but it's implied. Why? Well, we're reading his words, aren't we? We're being challenged by what he wrote to the Philippians. Paul wrote four prison epistles or prison letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon. And even through his bonds and writing of scripture, you and I are being challenged today. He viewed his suffering in the light of the gospel. He shared the results of his uh, suffering, But thirdly, he rejoiced in the preaching of Christ. Look at verse 18. Now, before you read it, remember this. Two groups are out preaching. One is standing with Paul, seeking to encourage him, loving him. The other group is out preaching from selfish ambition, seeking to discourage him. What's Paul say about that? Look at verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding every way. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. We told you the theme of Philippians is joy. He's in prison, but he's rejoicing. Still joyful. He's suffering, but he's rejoicing. Paul's concern was not his comforts or the like thereof. I can't imagine being chained to another person 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He wasn't concerned about that. He was not concerned about his critics. He was concerned about Christ. It was Christ. It was the gospel. Now, I wonder, friend, believer, child of God, let me ask you this. Don't answer aloud. But in your own heart, answer this question. Do you live a gospel focused life? You know the answer to that question. Do you live a gospel focused life? Do you seek to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations? Listen, 
It's not enough for you to be happy just because the preacher preaches the gospel. You ought to be happy about that, but that's not enough. It's not enough just to say, hey, amen, evangelists are out there preaching the gospel. Missionaries are out there preaching the gospel. Boys and girls are out there doing this and others are doing this. The idea is this, beloved. We are all to preach the gospel, to speak the gospel. Do you live a gospel focused life? Now, friends, I would be remiss this morning if I didn't take just a moment and share the gospel before we close this service. Because I realize as I speak today, not everyone that I'm speaking to knows Jesus as their own Lord and Savior. The Bible declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Lord Jesus came, was born of a virgin. Perfect God and perfect man joined in the flesh. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And then he voluntarily laid down his life on a cross. They bound him to that cross with nails. He hung. He bled. He died for you and me. They placed him in a tomb. They rolled the stone, thought they were done. But then the third day he arose victorious and he lives. And because he lives, friend, you can live. As the Holy Spirit works in your heart today and you realize perhaps for the first time that, yes, you are a sinner. You need a savior. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't do enough good things. It's not church attendance. It's not what family you're in. It's not that you're Baptist, Presbyterian or Methodist. What matters is, have you ever placed your faith, your trust? In Jesus Christ alone. Repented of your sin. Turned from your sin to Christ. And relied totally and completely upon him. Friend, that is the gospel. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can be saved today. As you repent of your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus. Our invitation after we pray is simple. Number one, for those of you who know Christ, is to consider that question honestly and sincerely. Do you live a gospel-focused life? Perhaps today you need to fall like I did this past week upon your knees and say, oh, God, forgive me. I do not live a gospel-focused life. And ask for his enablement and help. Secondly, perhaps you're here today. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to invite you to come. We'd love to talk to you about Christ. We'd love to do that. We'd love to pair you with someone who can do that as well. And I want to invite you to come as we close. Let's pray and we're going to sing our closing hymn. And you come as the Lord leads. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you today. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for Paul and his testimony. I pray right now your Holy Spirit to do a work in our midst. Lord, each Christian being honest with you concerning their life. 
Lord, those here today who do not know Christ as Savior, I pray today they'll step out during this invitation and come and talk with someone about trusting Christ as their own Lord and Savior. Get much glory to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.